Welcome in to part two of our uh, conversation covering Wrestle Rock 1986. I'm Chris Tubbs. I'm going to bring in uh, Mick Karch and Polish Joe. And uh, guys, last week we uh, kind of got into more of the setup of Wrestle Rock 86. We got into just a couple of matches, but uh, here we're going to start really more focusing on uh, the meat and potatoes of a lot of these matches. And we're going to kind of build. Um, do want to tell you, first of all, uh, as usual, coming up April 28th, catch our After Dark, uh, April 28th, Friday night. It's at the Croatian in South St. Paul. We're going to be telling some stories. Jumping Jim Brunzel is going to be there. It's going to be signing autographs, taking pictures. Anything you want to know about the AWA, some of the stories here that maybe we can't tell or you got more questions about it, and maybe you want to hear more of an unfiltered version, uh, AWA Unleashed Podcast is where you want to go for all your ticket information. Uh, we got VIP tables available. We got a ton of things. Uh, we're going to be selling, uh, you know, selling pizzas and drinks. It's, it's going to be a great time. So hopefully you guys can, uh, can join us. Um, okay. I know we got a lot to get to you guys. So let's continue in with Wrestle Rock 86, April 20th, 1986 at the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome. Uh, we've gone through a couple of matches, but the next one I want to ask you guys is one that, I mean, I, I was, I didn't see this match because it's not available on the versions that I see. And it's one of the feuds that we've talked to. It's the blood feud that you talked about, Joe. And I think it was accurately named that. The Midnight Rockers versus Buddy Rose and Doug Summers. Apparently the Rockers win. I don't know because I can't find it. Very interesting. And I, I don't have an answer, you know, and, and, as I combed through the internet, nobody seems to have an answer why that match was edited out. Now, I know that WWE owns all the footage, uh, but for some reason, the Rockers against Rosen Summers, that one is not out there. And you would have thought that with Shawn Michaels early on, that would have been a, a, a perfect go-to for WWE and Vince. Jesus, and did, Sean, Joe, did, 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 did Sean cost Vince money too, like he cost Vern money? Like you cost Vern money? Not nearly as much. <laughs> uh, that's apples and oranges there. But uh, I don't understand it. And as Joe said, that led to the, one of the greatest feuds and most underrated feuds in the history of the AWA, let alone the business. And I don't know why it's not out there. Joe, do you got any insight? I uh, On that match, no. On another match that we'll discuss, yeah, I'll, I'll bring up why that was never aired or used by the AWA. But the Rose and Summers and Rockers match, why they why Vince wouldn't have that on, I have no idea. Uh, I know when I've watched, uh, uh, you know, just to sort of refresh my memories, uh, scan through uh, Wrestle Rock yesterday, and they just present it pretty much as we recorded it, with the exception of Rockers against Rose and Summers. I don't have an answer for that. I really don't. It's got to be, I, I'm guessing it's more of a Shawn Michaels issue than it would be a Marty Jannetty issue. But, you know, that, that's Vince and that's their stuff. And, uh, you know, but uh, the Rockers went over. And again, it uh, kind of springboarded into one of the greatest feuds in the history of wrestling. So let's move around there, Chris. And by the way, Buddy Rose only weighed 217 pounds at Wrestle Rock. Just wanted to clarify that. With one foot on the scale. Well, I, <laughs> I wasn't going into specifics, oh, but, okay. you know. Right. Yeah. yeah, lean mean 217. Uh, the next one is, is kind of a hot button one here, guys, as I'm watching and I'm listening. Wahoo McDaniel versus Colonel De Beers. Now, Colonel goes over by DQ for the uh, over-the-top rope infraction. What stuck out to me, there were a couple things, but one thing that really got my attention was Rod Trongard. Did he really say that Colonel De Beers believes in white supremacy and has no time for minorities? Did, did, did he really say that? He said it. I don't know if he was told to say it. 
um, or if this was something Rod did on his own. You know, if you think back, you're mentioning the white supremacy with the beers and no time for minorities. And then you go into the the infamous painting match with with uh, Derek Dukes. There's a lot of stuff being done and said back then that they would never get away with these days. But, yeah, you're right. And that was really that was pushing the envelope. I mean, if you're going to want to get a guy hated, I mean, really hated with legitimate heat, that that was the line, I guess. But uh, they couldn't do it today. And in the other feud with Jimmy Snuka, it was yep. all about it, it. It was about white supremacy. I liked the character of Colonel De Beers. Um, Ed is a person I've never had any problems Ed, Ed, with. With Stowski, I can't yep. even pronounce his last yep. name, and I'm Polish. But I, I, I liked the character. But it just. Even back then, yeah, different time. I'm not using that as an excuse or an explanation. Well, it is an explanation that it was just a different time. And to have De Beers against Wahoo just fit into that mold of the whole white supremacy thing, it always made me uncomfortable every angle that De Beers did. But I will tell you this, it certainly generated a shit ton of heat, legitimate yeah. heat. And, this, and match, this match, you know, Mickey alluded to, I think, in the uh, episode last week about how so many of the finishes of WrestleRock matches were disqualifications. And it's like, really? This is a big event. You need to have some payoffs here, please. I don't think that they were interested in payoffs then. You know, I, I think it, 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 I don't know if you say it, lazy booking. Um, what I think it was, was they focused on their two or three big matches. And as you said last week, Joe, the rest of them were filler, even if there was some history uh, to it. But again, nothing really to springboard a lot of these matches into an ongoing feud. And the one thing about the match, and I know, Chris, you're going to talk about this, was the, the intensity, the savagery yeah. of the Wahoo McDaniel chops on the he, curb. He laid them in there. like they. It made me sore watching. Those. There were a lot of things that didn't make any sense in terms of, like, the execution. But those chops, they looked vicious. They were. And Wahoo McDaniel was legendary for his chops anyway. Uh, if you pissed off Wahoo, which I don't think the Colonel did, he laid him in a little extra thick. But I'm shooting pictures that night, and I'm 10 feet away from those chops. And I'm telling you, that poor Colonel, if his sternum wasn't caved in, he had flesh flying all over the – it wasn't sweat. I'm telling you, the man was losing skin uh, from those chops from Wahoo McDaniel. Just vicious. Take it from somebody – now I had a shirt on – but I got chopped by Wahoo once. Asked him to do it to me for whatever stupid reason that I did in the control room at the AWA. Yeah. Uh, you made better decisions in your life, Joe. Without a doubt. And hey, let's face it. I'm not going to be naive enough to think that Wahoo took it easy on me because I asked for it. Yeah. Again, why? I don't know. But he laid that sucker in, had a shirt on. And, oh, yeah, I, I had a hand mark on there for a little while. It, uh, it hurt. I'm but sure he had, a, I'm regard, had plenty, plenty of reasons. <laughs> but in regards to the match, I mean, you know, a decent match. But, again, the finish was just like, really? I mean, it, it, yeah. it took what might have been, a, you know, a, a, a three-star match down to maybe a two. I mean, the payoff, the, the finish of the match is a big part of it. It didn't even set up a rematch with mm -hmm. with what well, it just it didn't make sense. Yeah, yeah get, the, it yeah. get it off. That yeah. was it. The, the next one I feel might be it was one of my favorite matches to watch. And that was a tag match between Mike Rotunda and Barry Windham against the fabulous ones. I enjoy it. I, I think all four of these guys are absolutely awesome. Uh, I was a big fan of Barry Windham growing up. I felt for a guy his size, he he moved and was so athletic and so believable. What did you guys think of this one? I thought it was a great match. Uh, and as you said, you've got 
four real professionals in there. And they gave them at least a little bit of time to do their stuff in the ring. Uh, the fabulous ones, of course, had been here before as a tag team, uh, feuding with the Road Warriors. Uh, there they are. That is uh, Steve Kern and Stan Lane, the Fabs. And Barry Windham and Mike Rotunda had not been here as a tag team. Of course, they had the national notoriety. Joe, what I found interesting about this one was the Fabs had been here before. They were crowd favorites, but this particular night at the Dome, the crowd kind of sided with Barry and and uh, and uh, you know and Mike, and the the Fabs were kind of the subtle heels, which kind of surprised me a little bit. Yes and no. First point I want to bring up: this was the last match of the Fabulous Ones in the AWA, and it was the first match of Rotunda and Lindo. And from a fan perspective, um, great match on paper, and they delivered into the ring. As far as the fabulous ones being heels, if you think back to when they had their feud with the Road Warriors, initially the Fabs were the baby faces and the Road Warriors were the heels. But it, over the short course of time, that sort of flipped. Yeah, Even did. though the Fabs were still the baby faces from a booking standpoint, from a promo standpoint, fans were trending more towards Animal and Hawk. And so that, that decline of the fabulous ones being baby faces uh, started with the Road Warriors. And I think it just sort of carried on into this match. And you've got Rotunda and Wyndham, huge, huge stars with the WWF leading into this. I still don't know why they, you know, what what made them leave and, and come here. But great match. It was one of the few that from beginning to end, I would say was fantastic. And just one more point, to, Chris, before you go to the next match. I think mm -hmm. also, Joe, the trend in wrestling was to chart, start cheering the heels more than the baby faces. And if you were a, uh, a milk toast baby face or whatever, or if you want to call them a pretty boy baby face tag team, things were changing and they weren't getting over. So very, yes. very good point. Yes. So the, the next one is going to be someone that we don't talk about, the boombox guy taking on Tiger Mask. And match that uh, Tiger Mask won with a flying butt flip something. I don't even know what it you know what it was called. Uh, I, I don't I don't even know what it was honestly. But the interview from Buck Zumhoff just struck me as really odd when he was told just hey, this one. Yeah, yeah. he's like, hey, turn this way, and Buck put the the boombox up on the shoulder like he turned it on. And then yelling into the microphone and it just, this didn't, it didn't click for me in any way, shape or form. Um, I, I just want to ask you again, was, was Rod Trongard, was he, cause I mean, I couldn't tell you how many times I heard that he was from Hamburg, Minnesota. I could not tell you how many times I heard that. Was he fed lines during this or was he just continuing to fill space with a, a lot of his commentary? So I've said this before about Rod. Um, Rod's background is in radio. And when you do television, it's a completely different presentation. It is, On yes. radio, you need to provide more of a descriptive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in particular for, for a hockey game, I'll give you as a prime example. When they're having it on TV, they can do a little bit more back and forth and be more general because you have the visual to cover it. Sure. Rod never was able to make that full transition from radio to TV. And so he felt um, that he just needed to constantly be talking. Gotta fill. And when you feel that you have to do that, at some point, you're going to have a bit of a brain fart and say, uh, what can I say? Oh, he's from Hamburg, Minnesota. You know, that type of thing. Uh, in fact, Rod's um, 
the whole approach to doing play-by-play commentary and created heat, heat with him and Lord James Blair's down the road. That was the only fault towards Rod. He did a good job. He just needed to take more of a breath. Let it breathe a little bit. I I think, too, the the, the AWA is partially the fault for that as far as the Hamburg situation because they had a tendency to flip-flop. He's from Hamburg, Minnesota. He's from Honolulu, Hawaii. Hamburg, Honolulu. Uh, They they got their H's mixed up every once in a (laughs) while. And, you know, and... As you said, Joe, uh, Rod, a lot of times he wanted to say something just to be saying something. Mm-hmm. Um, this tiger mask was actually tiger mask number two, uh, the original tiger mask. Yeah, who, um, yeah, who, was, who was it? Who was tiger yeah, mask? I, I want to get the pronunciations correct. The original okay. tiger, tiger mask was Satoru Sayama, and he was working for New Japan Wrestling. New Japan made a deal with All Japan Wrestling and Giant Baba to take the Tiger Mask gimmick, and they in turn gave it to Masawa in in the okay. 1984, I believe. Okay. So Masawa is the guy that is wrestling Zumhoff, and surprisingly, not a bad match. Yeah. Again, nothing to write home about. Uh, I don't. Here's a confusing thing for me. I don't know if Zumhoff was the recognized AWA light heavyweight champion at the time or not. Uh, if he was, there was no mention of that in this match. And, of course, you know, he, he did the job uh, for Tiger Mask, number two. Uh, not a bad match, you know, okay for what it was. But, uh, you know, it was good to see Tiger Mask. And, again, he's in because of Baba. You know, he's in for that uh, that all-Japan connection. And there's a, there's a good – I think that was pre-match. That was in the locker room prior to uh, putting his trunks on. But uh, nonetheless, uh, not a bad match at all. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, you know, again, a good early match. But another match that just had nothing behind it. Tiger Mask was huge in Japan. And as you alluded to with Giant Baba, who is on the card as well, hey, I got this name. I'm going to bring him in. He's a big name over here. Well, big name here doesn't necessarily do shit for you here. And this match was just two guys put together. They pulled it off, you know, providing a a decent match. But it just didn't make sense. It was just another match thrown Mm. in to just make it look like a more grandiose production. And a couple of quick points. Buck was actually a substitute. Uh, Buddy Lane uh, from Canada, Dave Koshin, was originally going to be the opponent. I don't know what happened with, with Buddy. Uh, Buck was brought in. To your point, Joe, about the, the American fans not knowing about the Japanese wrestling, you do that today, and they're tuned into it. They know yeah. the different promotions. Back then, it was a whole different story. Pre-internet. Maybe the... Uh, the- Five-star instant classic coming up right here. Giant Baba, Bulldog Bob Brown. I'm gonna let. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna hang up and listen. I'm gonna hang up and leave if we have to talk about it. I'm gonna hang myself if we this, have to talk. I, I alluded to it earlier when at the Metrodome that night. I knew that that match was the drizzling shits when I was able to view the match uh, back at the studio on that Monday or Tuesday, I confirmed that it was not only the drizzling shit, but it was the the faucet was left on. Um, This this match made Rocky Mountain Thunder look good. This match made Silo Sam look like a competent wrestler. Luthes. Now I say this, both of these gentlemen, Bulldog Bob Brown and Giant Baba, had fantastic overall careers. They were over. They were big names in their territories. Here in the Twin Cities, who the fuck is Bulldog Bob Brown and what the fuck is a Giant Baba? Nobody knew who these guys were if it wouldn't have been 
promoted by Vern and us doing promos leading up to Wrestle Rock. This match, do yourself a favor. If you come across the match when you're watching Wrestle Rock, skip ahead. You can watch it, but I'm going to call you sadistic, and you are somebody that not only gawks at an accident as you drive by, but you actually pull over, get out of the car, grab marshmallows, and roast them over the car that's burning. This match was that flipping. It, it was awkward. It, it was very awkward. Like the chops, the, the cell. There was a there was a, a baba, like a chop to the throat, and. Bob, he just, you know, he was like a wacky inflatable arm tube guy when he was just like, like none of it. It just, there was no flow to it. And then the end was a, a, a boot flush to the face. I watched it again. It was clearly in the chest. And I'm like, it just, it was, it was awkward. It was very, very awkward. It was like two backyard wrestlers who didn't know what they were doing. Well, you know, you know, you don't exactly have, uh, you know, two speed demons in there. You got two guys that are well into their, you know, the advanced stages of their career. Their styles completely clashed. There was no rhyme or reason for the match. The crowd response, you would have thought you were at a church service with people standing in silent devotion. I mean, there was absolutely no response whatsoever. Uh, it went about five minutes, which was four minutes and 58 seconds too long. It could have ended after the introductions. There you go. So the the next one I, I, is one that I, I enjoyed. It was but another double count out. Two former champions, Harley Race and Rick Martel. This was the match of the night for me. Uh, you know, not only on paper, but just seeing those two. Rick Martell is extraordinary. Uh, he doesn't get the, yeah. the, the kudos that he deserves at all. Harley Race, just to have Harley coming back to town was a tremendous thing. Uh, you know, Harley legendary in the business. Uh, their match itself was not bad. It was pretty solid. But again, you've got a situation where lazy booking. Once again, double count out. You know, I, I, I don't know that at that point in his career, there's there's a shot that I actually took of uh, Rick coming over the top rope. I, I, lo- I, lo- I love that shot, by the way. I oh, love this, that shot. Yeah, I, I got I got lucky with that one. Uh, the match, this is a match that could have gone 45 minutes or an hour in a main event setting. I don't know how long they went, maybe 12, 13 minutes. Uh, great back and forth action, but again lazy booking. Uh, this is what happens like when you get a Nick Bockwinkle and Bob Backlund wrestling in Toronto, two champions. You come up with the easy finish, which is nobody gets hurt. Everybody goes home a winner. Everybody, you know, nobody's touched. And I think that's what happened. And I don't know that Harley would have been upset by doing a job to Rick Martell, a one-shot deal in Minneapolis or vice versa. So uh, excellent match. Love those two guys. But uh, again, the finish on paper, great match, but yet again, it didn't make sense. There, there was no, no buildup to it. Yet another match of, of two names put together in the ring to deliver. And it was shortly after this match that both Martel and Harley went to the WWF. Yes, sir. That's right. Yep. So, Good match. I, I would love to have seen a, a, a feud. You know, let's run the angle a little bit with these two. Obviously, it wasn't going to happen with the AWA because I, I think both knew at that time that they were going to uh, to the WWF. And so they went in there, performed as pros do, delivered, and ended up with uh, a shit finish. Let's go to the, uh, the next one, which is a 10-woman battle royal. Uh, Sherry Martell going over. Yeah, some you know, nice names in this. One thing I noticed, again, was just listening, and Rod Trongard said, we have a mass amount of nice talent. And it was just, like, I didn't know where he was going. Neither a mass, did a mass amount of, and it's like, yeah, he didn't know, and then wrestling talent. And I was like, 
I have no idea where he was going to go with this. You know, it's possible that the popcorn vendor was walking by Rod at that point and he got distracted. Uh, certainly he had a brain fart. Um, the match itself was, you got 10 women in there. Uh, the whole point was to further the feud with Sherry Martell and Candy Devine. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, you, you had a, a bunch of names, great, great lady wrestlers, including Candy Devine's sister. Uh, she was in the match as well. But you got a 10-woman battle royal that went less than 10 minutes uh, with the upshot. And at least, Joe, we can say there was some kind of a plan here with the ongoing situation with Sherry and Candy. Otherwise, just another match. One other name that I have to mention that was included in there. Great pick, by the way, of you and you and your cat. Uh, I mean, you and Sherry. Love her. Um, but uh, one of the other names uh, of the participants in there was Luna Vachon. Yeah, I, I, not- I noticed that. And I uh, can't remember what she was called, but yeah, it was not Luna. Uh, but yeah, well, I noticed her right away too, Joe. And the other thing that I noticed with her was her haircut and her makeup on her face. In yeah. fact, when I edited together, uh, not the Russell Rock Rumble, which I'm sure we'll get to, but the the highlight video from Russell Rock to uh, the talking heads burning down the house. Uh, I got that close-up side shot of Luna um, when she was being introduced. I just remember that because I just thought, wow, that was really creative. A creative look for Luna. It, it, it fit yeah. her personality, shall we say. The, uh, the, the next one... Kamala versus Sergeant Slaughter, and it's, one, other, I, oh, one other thing I've, I said I was going to do two things about Sherry. Yeah, this night was a transformation of Sherry Martell. It was the coming out party, if you will, for Sherry Martell as a wrestler. The tr- the the transformation that was the first time I had seen Sherry that glammed up. For a wrestling event, when she came out walking with Rose and Summers, as and she made sure to clarify the word that we hate or the term manageress, but that was Sherry's coming out of being all dolled up and looking like a million bucks, like she could. Um, her winning the belt that night, um, well, she kept the rain for quite a while after that, and she became. Uh, the first iteration of Scary Sherry Martell because of Russell Rock. Let's get to the uh, the next one here, guys. Uh, on paper again, Sergeant Slaughter versus Kamala. Sarge went over. It was a disqualification. I thought the end of this, some of the, the clotheslines by Sarge, they just looked a little weird. They looked, I don't know if they looked light, but it, I mean, the the post-match activities were fine. But I felt like that at the end, I don't think this match did Sergeant Slaughter any favors, at least when I was watching it. It really didn't. And, and Sarge, Sarge was going to kind of be a saving grace for the AWA. You know, they had lost Hogan. Uh, they lost their, you know, the main event with Hogan and Schultz and so on. So Sarge was going to be the guy that could elevate them. Was Kamala the right guy for Sarge? No, if you're looking for a technical match obviously not uh was sarge laying him in a little bit light that night yeah he probably was um again this is a situation of a match where you could have established a feud you could have established something uh and given it more time in an arena setting where maybe they brawled outside of the ring maybe things got out of hand you bring the back the match back again down the road you establish some kind of a Ugandan match, you know, a jungle match or whatever, which, which would have been a, a good gimmick idea. But again, give them a few minutes and go to the cheap finish, Skander Akbar interfering on Kamala's behalf, yet another disqualification, and just another two names on the show. That's exactly it. It was, it didn't make sense like so many of the matches that we have previously described in the beginning of Russell Rock. There was no build-up to it. The build-up was Kamala coming to the AWA. Sergeant Slaughter is going to be at Russell Rock. That's just not 
enough for the wrestling fan. There was two big names, both deserve their credit and their place in wrestling history. This, I, I don't, I don't get why this match happened. Joe, it's, it's that emotional connection or lack thereof. You got to have the fans invested in what they're seeing. They want somebody to be a clear heel, a clear baby face. And this match was just, you know, you had two stars, two legendary stars, but that was and, it. And Sergeant Slaughter versus anybody from another country was a selling point. Right. Oh, perfect. Absolutely perfect. We were at war with Uganda. I mean, it, again, it, it it just didn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking a lot of these matches, you know, uh, where, where the names were thrown together, the AWA knew that Slaughter was still going to be around, okay? Kamala, you know, just came in for Wrestle Rock. So instead of having a false finish or a shitty finish, why don't you bring in and start a new feud with yeah. Slaughter that can be built off of Wrestle Rock yeah. and then gone on to the next event? But it was nothing. It was nothing. And you could have done that with a lot of these other matches that we don't think make sense. Yeah, just just fillers. One that did have a story going into it was Scott Hall and Kurt Hennig versus the Long Riders, the Irwin brothers. Yeah, it was the, you know, over the tag team titles, it was over the the loaded boot and Scott Hall getting his uh, you know popular, most popular wrestler award right before the match. But, I mean, you saw two young guys. I, I think with this one, I think you could tell that Kurt and Scott, they, they had it. They had, they had it. Joel talked about the coming of age for Sherry Martell, and I think this was it for, for Kurt and Scott. Um Scott, of course, had established himself almost from the get-go in the AWA as, as a force because of his size and his look. Kurt Hennig, on the other hand, kind of came up through the ranks uh, and was establishing himself. They were in the ring with Scott Hogg Irwin and Wild Bill Irwin, two great veterans of the sport. And they carried Kurt and Scott to, a, I thought, a very, very good match. At least you had a storyline there about the loaded boot. Some of it made sense. Uh, great four-star match, not necessarily, but rock solid. And that deserved to be on the show as far as I'm concerned. Without a doubt, straight from the Long Riders driving their big Harleys into the Metrodome uh, yep. for their uh, ring entrance. Um, little side note, Mick, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe that this was Scott Irwin's last match before he got diagnosed with brain cancer. You know, it, it might have been. I was thinking about that because the next time I saw him was actually at a UWF show, uh, you know, some months after that, and he had already gotten away from the business that he had already been diagnosed with the, with the brain tumor. So, yeah, a very nice guy, very talented guy, um, sadly left us too soon. The match itself, again, rock solid uh, in the scheme of things, elevated Kurt and, and Scott Hall, certainly. First one that actually had a buildup and had an there angle go. going into yeah. it. First match of the night. And uh, another one that had a, you know, some buildup to it, the boxer versus wrestler. Uh, Scott Ledoux versus Larry Zabisco with Larry Hedig as the referee. And, you know, both these guys were, were seconded, you know, Bob Lertzema on one side. You had the Ninja uh, seconding uh, Larry Zabisco. Two questions. Uh, number one, why wasn't Larry Hedig being a guest referee? Why wasn't that a bigger deal from the start? Again, uh, a dropped opportunity. Uh, you know, I mean, Larry, I would have been pushing that hard. I would have been saying Larry Hedig there to keep the, you know, keep control. Oh, he's I mean, he's got to be an enforcer. He's got to be, a, you know, a lawman in the ring. No question about it. You're going to keep these guys that absolutely detest each other. You're going to keep them in line. So you go for the big axe. You bring them in to keep law and order. Ball drop there. Uh, Ledoux and Zabisco, I thought, was a great feud. Larry always loved taking shots at the Minnesota guys, whether it was Ledoux 
or Kent Herbeck, whoever it was, the hometown guy. Um, you saw the punch where Ledoux <laughs> laid one in on Larry. And I don't know if Scott was a little stiff with that one or Larry just sold the hell out of it. But it looked great, even from ringside. But again, you come up with the same thing. There's the late Scott Ledoux, a legit tough guy, a Minnesota legend. But again, you come up with the same idiotic disqualification finish. And again, why bother? Uh, so first point with Larry the Axe Henning. I don't know exactly, but if I was to surmise why he wasn't pushed even more, uh, look at Z. I see him and I think cheese pizza. <laughs> and I say that because that's what he would order. Every inter- every week we had interview week and interview day, he'd always order a cheese pizza. But as far as Larry goes, um, I'm just guessing here. But got to keep something in mind that the Ganyas and the Hennings weren't exactly inviting each other over for the holidays. There was a long time animosity between the two. Uh, having Larry provides a name, but I would suspect that Vern just said, ah, we don't need to promote him. Ledu and Zabisco will carry the match. Missed opportunity, as you said earlier. Big you know turn. what? It- there might be a piggyback to that too. Uh, they were focusing on Kurt at at that time, and the the Hennig's Ganya feud uh, wasn't really revitalized for a little while yet. So Larry was just kind of a you know he was an added attraction, uh, a bit player on the show. And I agree with Chris. Uh, you could have done more than they did. But again, that seems to be a recurring theme here with with Wrestle Rock. Who was the ninja? Ninja was Shunji Takano, uh, and he was uh, he was from Japan. And when he had to go back to Japan, he actually uh, was living with Sherry Martell, I believe, uh, for a while while they were here in the AWA. And they were dating for a while. Yes. Yep. And and when uh, Shunji had to go back to the land of the rising sun, what better ninja? What better Oriental guy could you get? <laughs> that probably hadn't even been to a Japanese steakhouse. Um, Steve Olsenowski, God bless him, filled in uh, when Shunji went back to uh, went back to Japan. Um, but, uh, you know, very interesting matchup. And again, the bits and pieces, sometimes they fit on this show, rarely. Other times, square peg in a round hole. One thing I remember about Shunji, first time, and hopefully only time in my life that I ever drank sake. And God is that awful stuff. And and that's coming from a connoisseur of beverages uh, as you are. Um, I might have had a cocktail or two. <laughs> you might have had a cocktail. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and, okay. Go ahead. All right. And if you want to buy Joe a cocktail, Come see us on April 28th at the Crow, <laughs> and uh, Joe will allow you to buy him a cocktail. Maybe he'll tell you some of these uh, these stories if you you know you get him all liquored up. I mean, who knows what'll happen? All right, the uh, the next one, Nick Bockwinkle and Stan Hansen, AWA title on the line, guys. Bockwinkle and Hansen, legendary. We all know how that eventually played out with uh, Stan leaving the AWA in a huff. Uh, at that point, uh, Nick is uh, Nick's getting on in years. Uh, Hanson had certainly been around the block. Uh, Stan had his better days behind him. But again, this is a marquee matchup. And I remember, you know, Nick coming out. Uh, you know, he's uh, he's got the he's got the bullwhip like Stan did, and it, it didn't quite work for Nick the way it did with Stan. Uh, you know, in in the uh, pre-match uh, situation. But again, on paper. You got a blockbuster match, but again, again, and again, and again, you go to that disqualification, easy out finish. The match didn't last very long at all. Uh, Nick got great response from the crowd. Hanson, of course, is a wild man. Uh, So Stan always delivered, but again, for what it could have been. Well, he beat up Larry Nelson on the way to the ring. 
Well, that was a good thing. I mean, that that was probably the highlight of the night. And Larry, I know, talked about that for the rest of his life, God bless him. Uh, but Stan got a good shot in on Larry. Uh, again, you know, Bachwinkle Hansen, you know, on paper, great, legendary. Um, the match was all right. Nothing special, nothing to write home about. And again, uh, cheap finish. I asked Larry after he got the shit knocked out of him by Stan. I asked him the next interview day. I go, so, Bay, it looked like he laid him, laid him in there pretty good. Larry looks at me and smiles and puts his hand on my shoulder. He goes, Joe, I felt it about as much as you just felt me putting my hand on my shoulder. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, hey, what did we say before? It's professional wrestling. Things might mm -hmm. be slightly exaggerated, shall we say. And this was that case. But Larry he sold it well. I, I mean, you could just see just, I mean, somebody go down and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, Stan just killed somebody. I'm like, oh, damn, that was Larry. Larry was very fortunate because I've seen Stan take the cowbell and hit a ringside photographer, thank God it wasn't me, right in the sternum. And I'm, I'm telling you, the guy looked like he had a cowbell tattoo for the rest of his life. Uh, Stan couldn't see a foot in front of him. So, so Larry got off easy that night. But again, the match, sad to say, same stuff. But I will have to say one final thing about that match is uh, when, when I was scanning through WrestleRock again, just to refresh my memory, I watched the full pro post-match promo with Nick. And... God, he was just good. He didn't he didn't scream, although he got irate. He didn't shout, but he still was mad. He delivered the promo the way that I remember Nick doing promos growing up through the 70s. It was eloquent, it was on point, he was smooth and he came across as a professional athlete, yeah. not a sports entertainer. And watching that again just reminded me how good Nick Bockwinkle was on doing a promo. He was a magician, and he did it here for 25 years. Oh, God, God I said it before. I, I, God, I miss him. I, oh, unreal. All right, the, uh, the next one had a stipulation added to the end that if the baby faces won, Vern would get 10 minutes with uh, Sheik Adnan LKC. It was Nord the Barbarian and King Kong Brody, Bruiser Brody, versus Greg Gagne. And for whatever reason, Jimmy Superfly Snooka. Why Jimmy Snooka? The story that I had heard was that Jerry Blackwell was starting to have some physical problems. Uh, towards the end of his life, Jerry was not a healthy guy. Uh, he stayed around for a while, uh, but he had uh, horrible diabetes. He didn't take care of himself. Uh, a lot of times he would go into the hospital for extended stays to, uh, you know, take care of whatever malady he had. So Jerry was, Jerry, of course, had that Brody situation going. Jerry was the logical a piece of the puzzle uh, when it was found out that Jerry could not participate, which really deflated a major match on the show. The AWA had to go someplace and get somebody with national notoriety, national fame. And they brought in Jimmy Snuka last minute decision. And, you know, I, I guess all things considered, that's not bad. You bring in Jimmy Snuka for a, for a cage match. Um, but again, that's the reason why, but it really didn't mean very much after you took Jerry Blackwell out of the occasion. Great match. Greg, of course, you know, always showing fire. Um, but again, if it's going to happen to the AWA, it's going to happen in a negative way somehow, somewhere. And that's what happened at Wrestle Rock. Yeah, I believe Jimmy was available because of the legal issues that he was uh, yeah, facing yeah. at the time, um, being accused of murder, got released by the WWF, and so he was a free agent. Jimmy was a huge name. And yeah. again, this was before the internet, so the national wrestling fan or fans in other territories heard of Jimmy Snuka by this point, but they didn't know the behind the scenes stories that were going on. If it was happening today, 
Tough to say if Vern would still bring Snuka in for it, but based on the fact that he was desperate and needed a, a name to go in there to tag with Greg, yeah, I mean, Snuka was a good filler, but it didn't make sense. It just it really makes sense. And, and, and the pop that he got from the crowd was okay. It wasn't what you expect Jimmy Snuka to do, although at that point, you know, they're three and a half hours into the show anyway. Exactly. And totally exhausted. A nice night for John Nord to get to team up with his uh, his longtime idol in a cage match. And, of course, the baby faces went over, which propelled mm-hmm. Byrne and Sheik into the uh, the subsequent cage match. Yeah, and, and I want to ask you, considering it was a blood feud and, you know, all of the animat like, leading up to it, to have Vern win via a, a, a small package, a roll-up, it's it left me a little bit. I know there was the post-match beat that, you know, that. But the roll-up, I mean, was, was the win supposed to be the end of the feud? Or was it maybe just, you know, establishing your dominance, so to speak? If that makes sense. This was Vern's real last match, according to, you know, to what he was saying. Uh, you got to remember the real heat, the real feud between Vern and the Sheik uh, when Mad Dog Vashon was involved and Kent Patera. That had been, a, you know, a, a few years prior. Vern had been out of the ring for a while. It's getting late in the show. There's not a lot that Vern or Adnan could do at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're not going to give you a five-star match. They had to make the match quick. Um I don't recall. Well, Vern rarely bled anyway. Um, So you're not going to see that kind of thing in this cage match. Again, roll up, get Vern the win, you know, get his hand raised, and that was the end of that. Very much anticlimactic, especially for a cage match. Uh, But their best years were behind them, as was the feud. Vern was 60 years old at this match. Yep. And... I remember laughing leading up to Wrestle Rock in this match. And the whole premise was that Vern was coming out of retirement because Adnan had broken Vern's rib in a match in Chicago. And <laughs> this is where it gets funny. So, well, yeah, at least we have a premise. We have an angle to work on. Well, the footage of Adnan breaking Vern's knee or breaking Vern's rib, Adnan's down for a three count. He get Vern comes rushing in to save his opponent. Might have been Mad Dog. I believe the match was in Chicago that we got the, the footage from. Mm-hmm. One, two, Adnan gets pushed off. Adnan goes into, or no, I'm sorry. Vern was doing the cover. He gets tossed off. Adnan's coming in to disrupt the uh, the pin. Vern gets tossed off and goes into Adnan's knee. Mm-hmm. Brutal. Mm. Brutal. I've taken bigger bumps getting out of bed in the morning. It This match, while it made some semblance of sense really was Vern just wanting to be a part of what he perceived to be his single biggest event. And there was no way that Vern was not going to be on the card. Mm -hmm. And he wanted the additional payday. He wanted one more big adoration from his fans in the Twin Cities. And maybe in his own mind got that uh, and, and good for Vern. Um, he deserved whatever he got after his, his long, illustrious career. But, yeah, this match just didn't quite serve as a Cole main event. Let alone in a cage. Uh, you know, th- th- it's going to go five minutes. There was no reason for that match to be in a cage whatsoever. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyway. And uh, th- the last one here, guys, before we wrap it up, uh, to the legendary tag teams, the Road Warriors and the Freebirds. Road Warriors over in about seven minutes. Again, uh, on paper, and there's a history with these two teams. 
you know, not only in the AWA, but in other territories and, and the Road Warriors had their their history with uh, with Jimmy Garvin and Michael Hayes. But again, you're talking about a seven minute match. Um, by that time, the arena was pretty much emptying out anyway. Uh, the Road Warriors still got their pop. They still went over. So on paper, yeah, it's a marquee matchup. But again, seven minutes. And Joe, you were there. You could kind of tell as soon as the three count was over. Even with all that anticipation for Waylon Jennings getting set up, that building emptied out faster than the control room when I did commentary with Terry Taylor after he had eaten <laughs> a protein bar. Um, it, it just, everybody wanted to get home and beat the traffic. And sad to say, that was the concluding moments of Wrestle Rock. By this point, people were not only ready to go home, but they wanted to go home because yeah. of everything that we had laid out, the, the horrible finishes, the matches that didn't make sense, and the ones that they did, again, horrible finishes. The only thing that this match had going, and, and this actually takes me back to my very first day at the AWA, it was Garvin and Regal who won the belts off of the Road Warriors with the help of the fabulous Freebirds. That was the whole angle. That was September of 85. We're now into April of 1986. And literally in that, what, seven, eight months, nothing happened between the Road Warriors and Garvin and Regal in the AWA. It just, it, it, there was nothing. The, the, this match, great on paper if you could have had more of a build up to it it was just thrown in there to be the 15th match of two big names on a supposedly big event it you know it was almost fitting to end on that match because it was sort of the entire night wrapped into one you know that's a very good point, and I know we are the three of us are going to kind of do a, a post show analysis of of the show as we're talking here, and as we talk about the the cheap finishes and how things did not make sense. This card was an extravaganza because it was in a dome stadium. Uh, you had uh, Waylon Jennings in town. You had Vern Gagne's finale his last match and there were a couple of matches on the show that made sense but hold, hold on you're missing the most important part of wrestle rock the wrestle rock rumble you know oh, let's go yeah. let's, that that let's was the that. highlight that was the highlight of the show but again that that's in the build-up that's in the pre-show once the show itself actually started and you got past the glory of the Wrestle Rock Rumble mm -hmm. and Vern rapping like a, a man possessed. You mentioned uh, the Wrestle Rock Rumble and your cat took off, by the way. <laughs> There's going to be a Wrestle Rock Rumble here any minute now. <laughs> um, but guys, as we look at it, and, and Chris, I know you had a question about the fallout and, and where did it lead? Mm -hmm. If you think about it, so much of it went nowhere. It died in the water. There was no real springboard or attachment to something that was ongoing outside of maybe Rose and Summers and the Rockers. And, of course, Nick and Hanson, which was very short-lived after that. Uh, it was matches. Did, it well, was did, did, you, matches. did you feel any <laughs> frustration from any of the, the wrestlers that you have this big event and you need to build off of that. Like you can't just have a one shot with all of these, like you, you have to build towards something. And if you're just going to have this, of course, it's not going to mean anything to fans. Joe would know better than I would, but I think the wrestlers looked at it as a payday. That's it. You know, it, it was a good payday in a building. It was getting them some national acclaim. Snooka took advantage of a situation where he was in trouble out East and came here. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think the guys at that point with the AWA, for the most part, uh, this is a payday. Harley Race was in and out. Uh, you know, so 
I don't know. I don't think there was frustration. They got paid. They got out of Dodge. Yeah. There was no excitement leading into it, but there was an anticipation of hope That's it. from it. And that is that there would have been that 30, 40, 50,000 mm-hmm. people uh, standing room only from the setup that we had, that they were going to then be able to get a bigger payday. I don't think anybody was shocked coming out of there that they didn't make as much as they thought that they would, because Vern was always a good payer. But it's like going on a second blind date with somebody and knowing after the first one that it's not going to work, but you decide to go in there and do it a second time. There's that same type of feeling throughout Wrestle Rock. It's like, yeah, we're just gonna, I'm going to show up. I'm going to do it because I said that I would. And if something good happens and comes out of it, great. Mm-hmm. Really outside of the payday, there really wasn't much that came out of Wrestle Rock. Two matches, two matches that extended beyond Wrestle Rock. You know, I mentioned last week that they would have been better off and it probably would have gone over better in the Civic Center. As I think about it now, if they would have done the same finishes and had the same kind of a card, it wouldn't have gone over better in the Civic Center. It just would have looked better from an aesthetic standpoint with the size of the crowd. Um, a lot of times people will look at the AWA's Wrestle Rock as its crowning achievement and the biggest show they ever had. I disagree on both points. Uh, Joe, you and I have talked that Super Sunday was a much better show, uh, much better received. Uh, even in Chicago, the Comiskey Park shows, this was not the AWA's crowning achievement. It is a maybe a double asterisk footnote in the history of the AWA. So much promise, so much potential, so much flat. The only other event that was promoted more was Super Clash. Uh-huh. And that failed even more miserably. That's, I, I think, uh, another episode that we can do down the road. Yeah. But, yeah, this was supposed to be this was supposed to be it. Um, looking back, this was sort of a make-or-break moment for the AWA in, in hindsight. And it, we just didn't put our best foot forward. Right. Uh, from the, 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 the booking of the matches, uh, the talent that was brought in, and certainly the finishes, which I guess could be tied into the booking, it underachieved in so, so many sad ways. So I told you guys that I like the fabulous ones and Wyndham and Rotunda. Um, I thought the worst was like you guys said baba and bulldog bob brown but uh from you know when you guys are looking back on it and you know you've seen it more than i have uh best worst best match and worst match for you guys uh go ahead and go joe well yeah it's not even up for debate the worst match you said it bulldog uh, bob brown and giant baba um my favorite match was probably Rose and Summers against the Rockers. Admittedly, just because, it, again, in hindsight, I knew what was coming up uh, from this foursome. I always found their matches to not only be entertaining, but done right in terms of um, wrestling, even, you know, after you got past Buddy Rose's, I weigh 217 pounds, not 271. Buddy doing a kip up, um, you know, them doing their shtick before the match. Um, once they got into it, those four put together some of the absolute best tag team matches that the AWA offered in its entire run. Um, so I'm I'm going to say that one, but the other, I, I, the Hall and Henning and Long Riders one I enjoyed, um, and then um, uh, blah, blah, the the uh, other one was uh, Wyndham Rotundo, fabulous ones, and then the Long Riders, yeah, and Scott Hall. Those and they coincidentally were all tag team matches. 
Those yeah. are my three favorite of them, but I'll give the nod to Rosen, Summers, and the Rockers. I would agree with that. And, of course, Bob Brown and, and Baba, that's in a league of its own. I mean, that is just uh, <laughs> put, a, put that one on the shelf and let it collect dust. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed Harley Race and Rick Martell. I, I didn't like the finish, but I liked the fact that they were putting those two together. And for sheer intensity, uh, I thought Wahoo and De Beers, um, as short as it was, was pretty damn good. So, you know, my favorite match on the show, I would have to say with you, Rosen Summers against uh, the Rockers. And where is that to be seen? Mm-hmm. Isn't that something? I got it. Yep. <laughs> Party at Joe's house. <laughs> All right. So uh, I guess overall, have we covered anything, uh, any last thoughts that you feel you, you want to uh, tell people before we go ahead and wrap up our uh, Wrestle Rock recap? Well, I will ask, surprised that you haven't had any questions regarding the Wrestle Rock Rumble. The Wrestle Rock Rumble, Ooh. I think, does, does Vince own that footage? Yes. Ah, damn it. Because we could do a whole show on the Wrestle Rock Rumble. Whether it was the former champ, Vern, or Scott LaDue slapping the little shit, or, you know, Nick did fairly well uh, with his... Uh, with his rapping, Blackwell did well. Zabisco did well. Zabisco did well, yeah. Um, Adnan and Vern were, put it this way, they showed that they didn't even know what rap music was. Vern and Adnan <laughs> carried the Wrestle Rock Rumble into their match, I think. <laughs> uh, in terms of timing and quality. Uh, but, you know, the, the Rumble itself has taken on a life of its own. That's far more legendary. I, well, and, that's, and I think that's kind of one of the reasons why I did like people know about the Wrestle Rock Rumble. I, oh boy, yeah, I I could have gone like balls deep into that, but I just decided to you know pass on it. Yep. Yeah, there were there one was... more one more word from the former champ Vern. He's going to give it one more turn. Remember that, Joe? Well, you could be Greg Gagne and you're in a rage. I do that, and that you want Brody and you want him in a cage. Oh, you know, I mean, Greg did. Greg, I didn't think Greg did horrible, but yeah, you might have tried to sell that one a little bit too much, Greg. But yeah, the Rumble sort of uh, has a little cult following. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether you like, I think it you can, yeah, I think you can find it on YouTube somewhere too. So. Oh, as you can wrestle Rock yeah. in two parts. Yes, you can. All right, uh, let's give our shout-outs uh, once again. The uh, tell people what's coming up with Crow, and then uh, then we'll bounce. So, uh, Mick, I know you've got uh, your shout-out. Joe, I think you're going to surprise us with ours because I haven't seen it. I'm going to so. surprise myself because I haven't even <laughs> thought about it. So, uh, to be honest well, with you, but I think I got one. All right, go ahead and go first, Mick. <laughs> uh, Wayne McCarty, my good buddy Wayne McCarty, who is a crack photographer i mean this guy does such a great job uh taking pictures of the independent wrestling scene in the state of minnesota uh wayne has actually caught me selling some of his pictures on occasion and i've had to eat crow uh he will go up there and he will look in the photo albums and he'll say hey wait a minute this isn't your picture um and he didn't even have his his name plastered across the picture maybe had i seen that you know, got to put it Wayne, right in the middle, right in the middle, so we know that it's yours. The Wayne McCarty collection, I would have been, you know, more aware. But uh, Wayne, great wrestling fan, great friend, and hats off to you, buddy. Uh, I'm not going to do a person this week. I'm going to do the Croatian Hall, not only for hosting the AWA Unleashed After Dark. But if you've not been to the Crow, if you've not been to South St. Paul, um, imagine going up to a northern Minnesota small town where everybody knows your name, where you walk in there. And the Crow, and this is just from what I've been told because I've never been there yet. Mm-hmm. But the, 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 the Crow, when you walk in there, it just, it, brings you back. The building is 100 years old. It just brings you back, for me, to the heyday of the AWA. You know, I'm guessing if I ever walked in there, somebody knew I was with the AWA, that I could sit there and talk to them for hours and maybe get a couple of drinks out of them. Um, 
I, people have claimed that that's happened, but I don't ever recall being at the Crow for one reason or another. But Croatian Hall, thank you. Shout out to you for hosting AWA Unleashed. And that's going to be the perfect segue for me to say, run, don't walk, get your tickets. And hear some of the stories from behind the scenes that we just probably don't want to have recorded anywhere. Yeah, and this this is not going to be recorded, you guys. Like, if you're like, hey, why don't you put? No, 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 no. We're, we're, we're not posting this. No. This is... You got to be there. Like you have got to be at the crow to catch Mick, to catch uh, our version of Norm, um, Joe Chupik. Don't look around. Don't <laughs> yeah. look around. Hey, I'm, a, I'm my ideal weight if I was 12 feet tall. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's going to be a blast, you guys. It, it's going to be so much fun. Friday night, uh, April 28th at the Croatian Hall, South St. Paul. Jumping Jim's going to be there, signing autographs, taking pictures. We're going to answer your questions, pretty much anything's on the table. Any story that you might want to hear, maybe something that you'd want Mick or Joe to expand on. Uh, there's a lot of things that happen that they know about that they can't say on the podcast. And you're going to be able to ask them in person coming up on Friday, April 28th, awaunleashedpodcast.com. That is the website. Tickets $25 in advance. $30 cash at the door. Yeah. You get Perfect time for him to freeze up. So but let me add one thing to that. Come to AWA yes. Unleashed After Dark, and we'll expand on why Wally Carbo was referred to as Uncle Milty. 